opportunity to meet with you. Thank you for what you are, what you are doing, what you are building here. Thank you for your community. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for church. Lord, thank you for each and every person that's added himself here. Thank you for the gifts that you have locked up inside of them. Thank you for the future that you have planned for them. The opportunities that are there. The, the potential that's just locked up in each and every saint here, Lord. Amen. So, take a seat. Today may be the day we actually finish the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> Maybe. Let, let's, let's just see. We're almost there. <laughs> I did it in a day as well on the rock, if you remember. <laughs> Um, so Matthew 7 verse 13 enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it watch out for false prophets they come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves by their fruit you will recognize them do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles likewise every good tree bears good fruit but bad tree bears bad fruit a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire thus by their fruit you'll recognize them not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the he who does the will of my father who is in heaven Many will say to me that on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It's funny, we, we have that as like the Sermon on the Mount and the, the culmination of it all. And yet it is some of the most probably terrifying verses that Jesus shares. Um, I don't know about you, but reading those sometimes, that's, I'm not quite sure what to make of them. It's like, enter by the narrow gates. It's like, those who find it are going to be few. And be careful of those false prophets. Be careful of those guys that say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this for you? And then actually he says, I never knew you. It's like there's seemingly scary verses in there, but hopefully by the end of this, I don't want you to walk away from me like, oh man, every time I read those, I'm like, am I one of those people? Am I? I don't think that's the purpose of them. That's the reason why I read it all together because the whole, I believe the whole point from verse 13 to the end is it's 
It's questioning how we are building, how we're putting into practice everything else that has come in the sermon and so much more that Jesus actually wanted to share with us afterwards. But at that point, this is what he could share with them. So actually asking, like, what are you building? I was tempted to start this morning of actually, what, what are you building? What are you building in your life? Or maybe even scarier, it's like, hey, we're going into a building project. Like, it's like the, the, the two words that people dread most in church, I think. <laughs> hey, building project, because that means it's going to take your time and your money and you're going to have to sacrifice and give because we're going to do this. And the reality is we're in a building project. We're building our lives, we're building our futures, we're building our families, we're building careers, we're building a church, we're building the kingdom to some extent. And sometimes we focus on our own personal kingdom, sometimes we focus on our own lives, sometimes we focus a bit more on church, sometimes we understand how our gifts, our abilities fit into what's, what's building here. Sometimes we don't. And I hope that we can learn to journey together and see how the gifts God's given you fit into what church looks like. Because church is not just on a Sunday. Church is us. We are the church. So whatever gifts you've got, you need to learn to add them. But then God's also got spiritual gifts that He wants to give you and He has given you and we need to learn to exercise them. And then you've got very practical gifts that actually I want you to add them. The reality is, just from a practical level, this takes work to get done. Um, simple thing, we've, we're not having coffee this morning because we didn't have baristas. So if you want to be a barista, come, we'll train you. But it's not, a, it's not a pressure. That's not the only way you're going to serve the church. And if you don't have capacity for it, it's fine. We don't need coffee in the morning. That's, we've got... <laughs> Some people don't need coffee. Okay, we don't need good coffee. We ne- I have a friend who always says, you're never too good for instant. It's like, if you, if you, if you want to just keep yourself humble, it's that you're never too good for instant coffee. It may not be the, the fancy stuff, but it's the caffeine. That's what. <laughs> and then I was reminded of another story where they, this guy walks, walking along the road and you see two guys that are dragging these massive slabs through the mud. And the one's like head down, frustrated. And he's, what are you doing? He's like, what do you think I'm doing? I'm pulling this slab through mud. And he goes to the other one that's walking with like a smile on his face, pulling the same slab, same mud, same time. He's like, what are you doing? I'm building a cathedral. Because he saw what he was going through, and he had a vision of what small part it was playing in a massive story, it changed his perspective completely. And something of that needs to happen in our lives, where it's not just, okay, this is what I'm doing. Um, but I see what I'm doing and it's playing a part in what God is doing. I'm going to set a timer, otherwise I'm going to go on. I think the, the first thing I wanted to share was just my, a bit of my testimony. I grew up in an incredible Christian home. 
literally this home um, for most of my life. But I grew up, I, I knew God, but there was times in high school especially, I didn't quite live what I believed. And I always felt like if I sinned too much, that cut me off from God. And I think we read through these verses where it's like, oh man, enter by the narrow gate. Like, be careful to enter. Otherwise, you, you're going to be on the broad road that leads to distraction. And there's something in us, whether it's the medieval view of spirituality and it's like the whole thing is I just have to get to heaven, not to hell. I don't know about you, but those, those thoughts pop up in your mind. It's like, am I okay? Have I done enough? Am I, like, basically it's like with Father Christmas. It's like, am I on the, the good list or naughty or nice list? It's like, I, I know I'm better than some people, <laughs> but am I, am I good enough? That's, so we, we start judging. It's like, oh, man, well, at least I don't smoke and drink like those guys. At least I don't do drugs. At least I'm not doing that. So it's like we start grading on a curve to make sure that we're okay. And for me, I, I, I used to do that. Not that I would compare myself to other people so much. I just was, if you had given me five minutes before I died, I would do as much repenting as what I could. Just to make sure everything was covered. Just to cover my bases. And I, my mom always laughs at me. She's like, ah, oh, that's not what we taught you. I'm like, ah, it's kind of what you taught me. <laughs> it's what I got. It wasn't what they were trying to teach me. But it's like I was always uncertain of my relationship and my my salvation there wasn't a sure surety there wasn't an assurance that actually my salvation my relationship with God is not based on my actions it's based on what Christ has done and especially when we read this and it's like actually enter in by the narrow and be careful how you build and build a house that actually withstands the storms and build on the rock it's like but Jesus said be careful how you build so then we start wondering like okay it's important how I build. It's important how I live. And I know I'm not living perfectly. It's like, because I know my life. So how do, how do those works, how does my actions fit into my salvation? And we need to learn to actually say that there's three tenses to our salvation. It's like you have been saved. You are being saved. It's what you're building. And one day you will be saved. It's like one day we will get to heaven. There will be glorification. Like there's fancy words for it, there's justification, there's sanctification, there's glorification. That's not important for you to know that. But what is important to know is actually your relationship with God is built on what Christ has done, not how well you're doing. Because if you don't have that and you have a bad week, your temptation is, I'm going to wait a little while. I'm just going to clean up my life a little bit. I'm going to make sure that I at least have a good day. Like where I haven't messed up and I haven't shouted at my wife and I haven't done this and I haven't been angry with people. Like I, wasn't, like, I wasn't angry while I was driving. I wasn't like, mean to my kids. I, at, least, I, at least one day, then I can come back to God and say, like, hey, like, you've seen how well I did, so maybe I'm, I can be okay. No, our relationship and our intimacy with God is based on what Jesus has done. When we have that, there's a freedom that comes. There's an assurance of our intimacy with God. I, I was saying it's like an assurance of our salvation, but it's more than that. It's actually an assurance of our relationship, our identity, our standing, our, our 
privilege of intimacy and walking into God and into that relationship is not based on what we have done. In the Old Testament, you literally had the tabernacle that was built up that only the high priest could go in and meet with God in the Holy of Holies. That, he was only allowed to do that once a year. But in Hebrews, it actually says that the curtain has been ripped because of what Christ has done so that we all have the privilege of entering into that presence. Not based on what you've done. So you need to separate your works, your relationship, or your life, what you are building from that and know that you actually have that assurance but then what we are building is almost just as important but it's it's because it gets built upon that so we're doing a building project and you think that assurance is the foundation then there's actually a blueprint of a vision of what we are building that person that's carrying that slab They've got somewhat of a vision of the blueprint of what they are building. It's this, I'm building a cathedral. We are building the kingdom. God is building the kingdom. He is building churches. He's building his church. He's building his body. But the primary thing he's concerned about is the kingdom. And the, the, the key with that is the kingdom is not just for us here. It's not just for believers. It actually goes out and it affects the world. And I was chatting to a lot of guys this week, um, partly around the world. And part of the conversation was, you can go to almost anybody in the world at the moment. And the, the phrase almost, you're more Christian than what you think you are. doesn't matter if they're a complete unbeliever. Their values have been so shaped by Christianity. They're probably more Christian than what they think. Because they value justice and they value love and they value compassion. Those are Christian values. Those have come in from the influence of Christ. The influence of God in the world. God chose the Israelite nation to be his people and he showed them how to live so that they could be a witness to the rest of the world. So that they could show them what it's like to actually live with God. And we get to do the same. And that's the kingdom that we are building. So because of that, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing work-wise, it's like I was thinking Justin here, just as a plumber, a plumber can be used for the kingdom because you're serving people and you're loving them and you're making a society that works well. It doesn't matter what your job is. You don't have to be a carpenter like Jesus slash Barry. Whatever your job is, I mean, barring a few very unethical things, can be connected to the kingdom. And it's part of our journey together that we're going to find how you play a role in what God is doing. We're a small church, so we can actually reimagine how we actually relate to each other and how you add yourself and what skills you have. We don't have a, you don't have to fit into like a formula. Because we don't have a formula. You don't have to be a life group leader like this. And you don't have to be... You actually play the part that God has called you to play. That may be coming and being on a sound team or learning how to do sound. Because we clearly don't know how to do it well. (laughs) Or learning to make coffee. Or just, I don't know, packing our chairs or not. Or maybe your role is during the week. 
Maybe your role is encouraging people. Maybe your role is following up with people. Maybe your role is actually just inviting another couple for dinner because that's how you're going to build the community. And that's how you're going to build this church. And by doing that, that's how you're going to build the kingdom. So it's learning to, to find place for all of these things. So we've got the assurance of our relationship. But then we start getting a vision of what God is actually doing. And he's building something far beyond what we've, we've ever dreamt of. And he's saying, be careful how you build. Because it matters. There's consequences. How you live your life is going to affect your experience of it. Warren's starting off with, if you walk around with unforgiveness in your heart, you're not going to experience the forgiveness that God has given you. It's hard, but it's true. If you are not walking around transformed by the forgiveness that you've received, you're not going to be living in the freedom that God actually has for you. That's what he was saying earlier when he teaches us to pray. It's like, forgive as we have been forgiven. If you don't realize how much you've been forgiven, I don't think you have the resources you need to actually forgive. We need to come into the realization that actually I desperately need the grace of God. You, you think of this passage, it starts off by enter by the narrow gate. I think the, the first thing that comes to mind is like it sounds so exclusive in this day and age. Like you talk to, to guys, I, I was at a wedding yesterday and with some, I don't know, people that believe very differently to us or to me. Um, so if they're looking at this and saying, enter by the narrow gate, that sounds so exclusive. How can he be the only way to life? How can Jesus be the only way? How can... But the reality is every belief system is actually exclusive because you have to believe the same as me. Even if your belief system is that all belief systems are the same, it's like if you don't believe that all belief systems are the same, it's still exclusive. It's, it's just... Every belief system is exclusive. The question is, how do you treat people that believe differently to us or to you? And the reality with this exclusive system, the only thing that's required is humility. Because the entering by the narrow gate, there's something of the picture of the gate. Jesus says, I am the gate in John. The, the only way that you enter into this kingdom is actually through Christ. It's not exactly the same analogy that he's using here, Jesus is using, because he's saying, actually, be careful how you build. And the way that we find the life that's worth living is actually building on these like kingdom principles. Because yeah. we get to the end and he's saying, be careful how you build. We all know, we, we're all trying to be careful how we build. Everybody's trying to build a life that's worthwhile. We're trying to get an education. We're trying to help our kids. We're trying to get a job that actually helps us. We, we're trying to build the best we can. But Jesus says, listen to my words and put them into practice. And what words has he said? He's, he goes back and it's the whole sermon. It's like the Beatitudes where it's, he's portraying this upside down way of viewing life. Where it's, we're not concerned about here and now. We're actually concerned about eternity. When we're concerned about that, then if people persecute us and judge us here and now, it's not the end of the world. Because what we're pursuing is righteousness. We're pursuing 
intimacy with God. We're pursuing a kingdom that is so different to what we are facing here and now. So we've got this assurance and then we've got a vision of what God wants us to actually do. But then there's a responsibility for the life we're actually building. And I want to read just 1 Corinthians 3 from verse 12. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is a sacred and you are their temple. So we, there's this challenge to enter in and to think about how you're building and what you are building. But you have to know that you, it starts off on that foundation. That foundation is Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3 it says the foundation is Christ that we build on. But then we all have been given gifts and we've given tools and we've been given abilities and you've been given a mind, you've given resources, everything you've been given, you've been encouraged to actually build with it. And you can build with precious stones, you can build with jewels or you can build with wood, hay and straw that will be burnt up. So you can build a life that's meaningless. And it still says you'll still be saved. So that assurance of salvation is there. It's done because it's not based on what you do. But there are rewards and there is a judgment coming. And it, it's like, I think we've, because we, we've merged the two, we, we're afraid of preaching judgment to people because it sounds judgmental. <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> but we have to say, actually, there's a life worth living. There's something worthy of pursuing. And there's people that are trying to distract us from it. That's why he warns us against false prophets. He's not trying to make us like these false prophet hunters that it's like we're going to go and find out where people are wrong. But be careful. There are people that are going to try and like tell you what you want to hear and tickle your ears and say like actually you don't have to work too hard and actually no but God is, God is love so he, he completely covers over everything. It's like no. There's a life that's worth living. And you are capable of living that. And He wants you to live it. So be careful what you put in place. And learn how to actually walk with, with Him. Learn how to walk with Him. The Sermon on the Mount in general has been debated of what people think it's there for. Is it Jesus' like blueprint on how we have to live? Or is it a standard so high that we can't attain it? And the reality is it's both. Because it is a reality so high. Remember what he says, like, I've come to, to fulfill the law. And he says, like, actually, you've heard it said, like, I hate your enemy, but love your neighbor. It's like, I actually say, love your enemy. How well are we doing on that? You can love your enemy. 
exactly what you're saying. Can you forgive? Can you absolutely love the people that have hurt you the most? You've loved and you've loved and you've loved and you've loved and they just throw it in your face. Can you keep loving and keep loving and keep loving? Where do you find the strength for that? The only way you find the strength for that is because God empowers you. What did Jesus say? He said, wait until the Spirit comes upon you because you can't do this alone. He came and he said, I'm going to preach the kingdom and you are going to be my witnesses for the kingdom. But wait until the Spirit comes upon you because you can't do this alone. John 15, he says, you can't do this unless you are abiding in me. And I, I have such an expectation of what God wants to do, not just in our church, but around the world, that God is preparing his bride for an incredible move of the Spirit. An incredible move. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know. But I'm convinced that God is going to do it. And there's an expectation arising in me of what He can do through each and every one of you. I've seen faces change through this church. I've seen lives begin to change. And that's through one year. How much more can He do? He can turn marriages around. He can turn lives around. He can turn families around. He can restore broken families. He can encourage us when we are depressed and we hurt. We don't have the energy. Or like Koba says, we mature. <laughs> but God wants to train us and He wants to strengthen us and He wants to empower you. So be careful how we're building. Like be careful how you're building. I want you to build a life that you are proud of, but that God would be proud of. He's a father looking down on you and saying, yes, well done. I spoke at a, a wedding yesterday, and actually that like, identity and affection and affirmation over Christ came before he did anything. And there's, there's an element of that, that that's how God absolutely loves you. And He cares for you no matter what. He will always be that loving Father. But He also, a, a Father knows how to speak identity and courage and story and purpose into your life. Because He wants to look and say, Warren, I'm proud of the way that you are living. Not just do I love you, but man, I have seen you turn your life around. And get busy with the work of God and lay down your life for people and stir people up and encourage them and gather a group of men around you that are being raised up to be men of God. And he looks at that and says, I'm proud of you. Well done. And that invitation is open for everybody. And it's not a, a guilt trip. It's not like you have to do this. The door is open for this is what God wants to do with us. Lord, I, I pray that you would show us, you would begin to stir in us your spirit, that you would empower us to live out what you are calling us to. First and foremost, Lord, I want there to be an assurance of the intimacy with you. I don't want anyone here to be those people that get there and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did I not try? But I did not know you. I, 
I don't want anyone leaving here today thinking that that could be me because you don't have to leave here wondering. Because that intimacy is just the humility to accept Christ and to walk with Him and to accept what He's done. Because of that intimacy, we can know God and we don't have to perform for Him. And built on that assurance, I pray that you would give us a vision of how we can add ourselves to what you are doing, to building your kingdom, to building your church, to building your bride, your family. I pray that you would speak to people. You would unleash gifts. I pray that you would, we would be a church that would be blessed with every spiritual blessing, every spiritual gift, equipped for everything that we are called to do. Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, you have been gifted with everything. You have every gift you need. Lord, you have given gifts here. Men and women that are gifted with their hands, with their minds, with their mouths, with their cooking abilities, with their loving abilities, with, their, with everything, Lord. I pray that you would show us how we're going to use these gifts together to love and care and grow. Well, I thank you that we can talk about these things and we can think about them, we can discuss them, but actually the power comes through your spirit. And the reason we have access to this is because of your body and your blood. Well, we're going to take communion now. I want to thank you for your body. I thank you for your blood. I thank you for the community that you're building here. I want you guys to actually break bread with somebody else, uh, whether it's your spouse or a friend or somebody else, and pray for them. Thank God for what He has done, what He is doing. And don't be afraid to, to speak over them the, the, the life of God. It's not the fullness of like a prophetic gift, but there's something of us understanding the nature of God and the heart of God. And when we speak that over each other, it's speaking the words of God over them. Because it doesn't take a prophetic word to actually say, you know what? God loves you, Pierre. He cares for you. Because I understand the nature of God because God revealed himself to me. Because he showed us what he was like. Jesus came to show us the Father. And if I understand that Jesus had compassion for people and he loved them and cared for them, I know that God has compassion for you and he loves you and he cares for you.